Uh, hello and welcome. Uh, this is our interview with Misha Sakharov, and I invited him because of fascinating results in his treatment of cancer and other very serious health conditions. So I have many questions which I wanted to ask Misha and to discuss certain topics related to cancer treatment, treatment of Parkinson, Alzheimer, diet, and, and some other questions related to breathing retraining. So Misha, maybe you can just say hi to our viewers. Hello, everybody. Hello, Arthur. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, my name is Misha Sakharov. Um, I'm an integrative health engineer, and um, I run um, boot camps, intensive boot camps for people that are diagnosed with brain tumors, basically. I used to work uh, with other cancers, with other uh, diseases of lifestyle, uh, diseases of inflammation, but uh, right now I have a um, this specialization, working with brain tumors. So. Yeah, and um, I'm doing also research, writing articles, publishing in medical journals. So that's my area of interest, um, which is basically, um, as all engineers um, do, we, we combine different views on the same problems. So we connect the dots. So basically connecting the dots of uh, um, human physiology. Um, we need to um, approach nutrition. We need to approach breathing. That's the two main ways of getting energy inside of our body. And then we need to distribute the energy. And this by basically we're talking about resilience and we have immune, mental and physical resilience. So that's exactly what I'm doing in my programs. Okay, excellent Misha. Now, uh, uh, before I start all these questions, I actually want to say maybe a couple of ideas so that people understand what we are talking about because we are going to discuss how uh, breathing retraining and how diet can influence cancer and again like some other very serious health conditions and before I start again like what I want you to tell like uh, kind of from um, work of uh, Soviet doctors like Boteka breathing doctors we know that actually breathing retraining is able to defeat any cancer provided that a person is able to make changes in his or her breathing pattern or to normalize their breath, okay? That's the idea which I got from many, uh, many kind of sources in Russian literature from what doctors wrote and my own experience as well with students who had cancer. Misha, would you agree first like with this idea without even discussing like diet, other things that if a person is able to retrain their breath to achieve so-called Buteyka norm, which is one would take a table of health, the cancer is going to disappear. Do you think in your experience, would it be true? Um, Arthur, it's a very good question. And I would say, um, I would like to say yes, but there's a, in the most situation, yes, but it depends very much on different aspects. So, um, you know, because uh, in, in my practice, the most of the, the most of the people that reached the uh, the standard values for normal health, they were able uh, to reverse cancer. Yes, and reverse cardiovascular disease, different diseases of uh, mm -hmm. lifestyle and inflammation. Um, but there's some uh, some situations where we need uh, to take not only body and mind into consideration, but also some other aspects like working with psyche uh, deeper inside because yeah and i will 
tell about those situations in my experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay, yeah, excellent, yeah. And uh, we can also, we are going to discuss later another approach which actually does not involve any briefing retraining, and that relates to uh, ketogenic, uh, paleolithic ketogenic diet, so-called PKD. We'll discuss it bit, a little bit later. Now, the first area or the first kind of section of our talk, I want to discuss topics related to uh, students' ability to overcome the lifestyle uh, challenges. So, uh, it, we know that briefing retaining actually and uh, walking on the breath and achieving really good results in the uh, uh, respiratory parameters so that people are able to retrain their breath like to start breathe differently day and night, it requires to make many changes in the way our students sleep, how much we exercise, and uh, many other factors altogether. So students uh, need to kind of overcome yourself and go beyond their comfort. And so my question to Misha would be here is following, uh, what type of uh, lifestyle changes you found quite difficult because, for example, we know that like to achieve, for example, in relation to physical exercise, students need to do somewhere around like often like two hours or even more, or maybe up to two and a half, three hours of physical exercise. So, Misha, what would be your experience in this area? Like, lifestyle and maybe it's to start with physical exercise in particular. Yeah. You see, what you are touching, that's the... Um... That's a question of compliance, basically. And compliance, mm -hmm. we can, as practitioners, as trainers, we can have uh, beautiful plans for our, um, you know, clients. <laughs> but it's, and it's great, and it's great. And the more areas we are connecting together, the better for the client. But the outcome will, um, um, will basically be based on the real outcome, on the ability uh, of our trainee to comply to the training regimen. Okay, and compliance is the, is the biggest problem because you see, um, people that have cancer very often, they, they are willing to go whole way. I mean, in, in, uh, involved in a lot of training and using two, three to four hours a day uh, to train. Um, and, um, if we are able to show them, to visualize um, their progress, it will create a powerful synergetic effect, self, uh, basically, um, um, how do you call, how would you call it? Um, uh, uh, Self-amplifying effect. Where if you know, if you see the difference after two weeks of training and you've, you know, you used a lot of effort, it forces in, in order to train and then it will help you. Yeah, okay? absolutely. But the hardest, yeah, the hardest areas are um, basically uh, complying with um, both with training regimen, with, uh, with uh, eating regimen, uh, with sleeping regimen also. And... Um, in order to, uh, to ensure this compliance, you need to work with mental patterns with people also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the thing that you are trying to discuss, I think also kind of relates to motivation when students see a feedback that uh, the work that we are doing actually making changes in the way yeah. they feel and we are also to do, are able to do more physical exercise. We see that symptoms start to subside very, very fast. That's of course a very powerful factor to 
increase yeah. their motivation and they practice yeah. with more passion when they see this like Absolutely. feedback, these yeah. effects yeah. of breath work. Now, my, uh, kind of another question, maybe I forgot to start, would be good actually to, uh, uh, to discuss it at the beginning. Like, uh, uh, question would relate to how much would be the success rate of your students with cancer? Because we know that there are like uh, hundreds probably of different uh, remedies, techniques, supplements that people use for cancer. Mm -hmm. And we know that of course, like we are often promoted, you can find a lot of alternate health websites and in health food shops, there are maybe like kind of, and of course online you can find huge amount of information. But at the same time, of course, there is very little uh, often scientific support or research done behind that. So you have your own already kind of practice going on for a few years and you had quite many uh, uh, cancer patients even like when we started with you like what, five years ago about, yeah, four, five years ago. So you already uh, had the students. My, again, my question would be, what would be your kind of efficiency rate, success rate? Because that's something which I believe would be also very exciting for students to know because people recover like with yoga, with meditation from cancer and other things. But of course, if we start measuring the efficiency or the success rate, that would be very different from, I think, what you have. Yeah. You see, first, um, uh, I would like to say that um, what we are, what, uh, what I'm doing, it requires that a person takes full responsibility for their health. And that's a little bit special thing because you see, um, I'm not a magician. I'm not selling drugs, neither. Um, and it would be great, but I mean, the first one. But you see, um, uh, what, what I do, I, I provide training and I provide nudging and follow up with the process. I build up process. I help my clients to build up process. And it requires full understanding which means I need to provide them also with lots of uh, knowledge of physiology so they can take, I can, I can put them in the situation where they can take the responsibility for their health. Okay, that's the first thing which is very crucial to understand. Um, because in the situation, situations when they where they take pills, they make cocktails with refurbished medicines, it's, not, it's, it's still killing cancer, it's another concept. We are not killing cancer. We are healing cancer. We are reversing cancer because we are not trying to kill the messenger. Uh, you see, that's another situation. We're trying to change the environment for the cancer cells and for the um, also normal cells so they can stop dividing uncontrollably. Okay, and that's, um, th that's a very, very different concept. So uh, when we're talking about success rate, um, it's very hard to say because sometimes I give a, um, you know, basically there are, sim there, there are some situations where, for example, with children that are not, uh, that are very uh, heavy or some situations in the, um, in the end of the uh, process of the disease where people, um, I give people a possibility to start and try. It's not always possible to do that um, in the situations. Sometimes they have a bouquet of disease, which is very hard, like for example, diabetes one and uh, um, with a spread to the brain, which is, uh, well, excuse me, and cancer that originated primarily cancers um, like lung cancer with spread metastatic uh, to the brain. So diabetes one plus metastatic spread to, uh, cancer to the brain. Um, then 
people um, with like stage four that really want to um, to work. So that's the the hardest situations and also um, some very aggressive brain tumors. But if people are coming to me, taking full responsibility um, after the diagnose or after a course of radiation, and if they are able to move, and this is a very crucial thing, if they are able to move, if they are still able to, uh, the, the gastric, uh, uh, the gastroenterology, the gastric tract is working. They can chew, they can swallow, they can talk, they can understand, they can think clearly. Then they have a very, um, very good chances of survival. So basically the people on my course right now, all the families that I work with, and I work with whole fam families, not with only with one person, all the families support. And they basically, many people, many members, in many cases, many members of the families do absolutely the same training. They have the same measurements. They do everything to help people, uh, you know, the family members to survive. In these situations, we have, um, well, very good rates. You know, now there's several people in my uh, um, uh, in my intensive boot camp that we are worked now for four four months, more than four months, and. Uh, we have already uh, many people where the, the, um, the first stage, which is means stagnation of growth of cancer, uh, we are through that. So in three months, there were no, the, we stopped proliferation of cancer. So, and their uh, symptoms subside. Basically the symptoms disappear. Like for example, stability, they, they regain a normal stability in walking they regain normal flow in speech. They uh, regain, they, uh, the, the, um, um, the sight is getting better and better. Clarity of thought. And when, when working with brain tumors, all of those parameters, they, um, they are affected very much by the uh, intracranial pressure. So what we're basically doing by all of those efforts combined together, they stop inflammation in the brain. That's the first thing. And when we stop inflammation of the brain, uh, water retention in the brain, edema, swelling, uh, we stop, um, you know, we stop basically um, intracranial pressure. And that's, when we, when we do that, it's basically, uh, we can say, yes, wow, that's a very big thing. Because if you can stop intracranial pressure from growing, you can reverse brain tumor. And this is, we tried it several times now with the most aggressive tumors like glioblastoma multiforme. We have good results with astrocytoma also. Um, so um, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, I cannot uh, tell you exact, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, ch because uh, cases because are very different. Cases I, I, are no, very I, different, yeah. Absolutely. No, of course, when people are so yeah. sick, uh, it's, uh, as you mentioned, the case with diabetes 1 and cancer or metastatic stage 4. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that, of course, makes it very difficult to, to reverse this thing. Now, yeah, and uh, diabetes 1, you see, and also we have to remember how long time did we, did we have that. And this, this case, for example, diabetes 1, like 20 years of diabetes 1, created so... Much damage. Much damage. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, 
metabolic, we call it metabolic syndrome. All of those things is basically a metabolic syndrome. That's what I'm working with, reversing metabolic syndrome. Mm -hmm. and we, we, can, we can talk more about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, excellent. Now, I want to discuss a little more about another, like kind of maybe shortly, about yeah. another lifestyle factor which students need to work on, and that relates to uh, sleep, like sleep positions, but even harder factor would be, of course, like sleep restriction, or as you call it, sleep hacking, yeah? <laughs> so, can, can you tell maybe just a little bit about this factor, because it's also a challenge for an ordinary person. Absolutely. And you see, I'm, I'm happy you're asking, because you see, uh, sleep, it's one of the aspects that are very uh, multifactorial. Well, like all the other aspects of human health. <laughs> and you see, our ability to sleep and our ability to recover in a, on a cellular level, on a mitochondrial level, on a level of energy uh, recuperation, um, it's, um, it, it, it depends very much on factors as... Um, uh, movement patterns during the day, too much or too little or appropriate, um, which we define for every person. And then um, uh, what we are eating, when we are eating, okay? Are we adapted to what kind of preferred energy uh, source for energy are we adapted to on a cellular level? Is it glucose or is it metabolites of fat? Okay, it's very crucial. Um, then what is happening also, all of those factors, they regulate our satiety hormones like leptin and ghrelin. And if we manage to start with, for example, making adaptation to fat burning, then we can start reversing metabolic syndrome and adapting leptin and ghrelin, those two factors that before insulin, basically, they, um, they can stop the downfall, the, the, the bad effect of, uh, you know, inflammation and uh, all the metabolic factors altogether. That's the, the satiety and that's satiety hormone and the hormone of hunger, okay? And they can start a very powerful process that can lead to sleep hacking because what will happen afterwards? We can then, when we are satiated during the day, we're not eating like five, six, ten, ten times a day, then our intestines are not working uh, outside of the nutritional window. Because when we are satiated, we can diminish the uh, nutritional window, which is from the first time you eat to the last time you eat, down to four to five hours maybe, between 12 and five during the day. And then uh, the, uh, the peristaltic process is not active after six, seven in the evening. So basically when we are going to sleep, we are lying in the bed and uh, we can, um, our, well, we call it enteric nervous system, ENS. And enteric nervous system is, we call it a second brain. It actually communicates with our brain um, and, and it's uh, situated in the, in the gut lining. Um, so this, ENS is not communicating with, ANO, with the central nervous system and uh, with the brain. So basically our neurons are not working actively. So they can, we can, when we start sleeping, we can go more actively into the phases of sleep number three and four to the deepest stages of sleep. And 
then we can basically work with sleep hacking on a mitochondrial way, in a very deep way. Uh, just before we was talking about sleep positions, uh, which are very, very crucial. Uh, let, but let me start with that one. So what is happening when we are allowed to basically uh, spend more and more time in the very deep sleep stages, uh, we uh, trigger autophagy. Because autophagy, some of kinds of autophagy, we have different kinds. We have macro, micro, and uh, um, chaperone-mediated autophagy, CMA. And they, some of them, they are working in the best way when we're in the deep stages of sleep. And they can only start working after eight to 10 hours after the last peristaltic movement. Okay, so if we're, if we stopped eating at five o'clock, for example, and then we sleep at 11 or 12, and then somewhere during between two and four, we are uh, in this situation, we will be highly likely to come into deep stages of sleep where autophagy works. Okay, and um, um, that's just one of the points, okay? And then if we understand what Dr. Buteko told us about the sleep positions, like on the left side, not supine sleeping, not sleeping on your back, because then you hyperventilate. And if, if we use sleep tape also, if we use some other things that I can talk about sleeping, uh, you know, a lot what we are doing for sleeping to prevent supine position, to prevent hyperventilation. Um, and then also um, we can start waking up very early. And when we wake up early, then we prevent early morning changes in endocrine regulation and endocrine uh, signaling that, uh, uh, that basically promotes more ventilation. And we call it Somogi effect or also, there's two effects called Dawn effect and Somogi effect. They're almost the same, not completely the same, but basically we are talking about hormonal change in the morning where we start waking up and we, you know, and we start breathing more, our lung ventilation increases. So we want to promote that. And I see in all of my clients that when they connect the dots of sleeping position, you know, from Buteco world and also uh, diminishing the... In uh, the the window of uh, the eating, they start waking up earlier. And at the same time, you know, there's other system, the other um, things like, for example, remember that one about no soiling effect that we like to talk about. <laughs> okay, yeah, I wanted actually to ask you about it. Uh, well, I, I can ask maybe, uh, maybe it's appropriate to ask now even about no, no soiling. My kind of uh, understanding was uh, even like from probably about 10 years ago when uh, actually it was one of my students uh, who told me that like uh, he was able to achieve no soiling and at the same time, I was kind of curious asking some other students who already achieved like very uh, high CP level, like no, would take a norm for health. Because what happened at this time, I, uh, when asking these advanced students about the results, uh, virtually all of them told me that we don't require toilet paper any longer. <laughs> so and I kind of related that to my own experience with briefing retaining that I had like this already 10, 15 years ago. And it, like I started to think about all oh, what, what is going on with the gut and why people have soiling. 
-hmm. And later, my, my kind of, again, limited understanding, because I'm not gastroenterologist, you know, I teach breath retraining at my PhD is in math and physics, like kind of very different areas. So from my limited understanding at the time that uh, soiling was uh, actually related to formation of biofilms. And uh, in gastroenterology, it's actually very new and still very kind of uh, researched, very popular area of uh, in, in investigation. Probably it's, it's not uh, old one because it looks like a research probably somewhere around 20, 15 years ago when it started and later it became uh, more and more kind of popular because we found that virtually all digestive problems and when people, even for nearly all modern people, uh, presence of biofilm is a big problem. And what I wanted to ask in this area that, like, first of all, uh, kind of my uh, understanding was that uh, biofilm is a layer of uh, some pathological bacteria. It, it can be, of course, several uh, pathogens present together in the lining of small and large intestine. So, and the thinking that uh, led me in the past to this idea, even though I never met it actually in any gastroenterology textbook or article, that professional doctors would tell that actually uh, students or people or patients are able to achieve a situation when they don't need toilet paper because that's totally abnormal in the modern world. Like yeah. all people need yeah. toilet paper. And yeah. what I saw with my eyes already again 10, 12 years ago that students, most of them, when we achieve you no know, uh, very good uh, results, and of course we would do some changes like in the past we did not know about keto, but I would teach them Okay, if you eat starches, eat them dry, chew them super well, that would prevent soiling because starches I knew a long time ago was the main culprit in the creation of soiling because when you start to experiment with diet, you would notice the correlation that whatever you eat may cause more soiling, less soiling helps to define maybe some trigger, something which can damage the digestive tract. But what happened later is that uh, uh, I realized that actually the idea of uh, soiling and this biofilm formation, like biofilms, if we have this pathological, like sticky, greasy type of uh, bacteria in the gut, the flora is pathological, that actually is the cause of soiling because that's the same sticky, greasy bacteria that yeah. make our uh, uh, anus uh, uh, dirty when we, when we go to defecate to the toilet. Yeah. And so my, my, uh, then, of course, it makes sense that if students achieve a better flora of the gut and the immune system is able to reject. And this is what I learned from Buteka sources also like even uh, probably 15 years ago or uh, before that uh, when students improve their breath, that actually immune system becomes powerful enough so that is, it is uh, not, uh, uh, does not like any longer presence of pathological bacteria in the gut. But later what happened like last, uh, again, like uh, my, my most recent kind of educational enlightenment <laughs> related to idea of uh, intestinal permeability or leaky yeah. gut. Yeah. And uh, when started to research, I found the same, that actually uh, presence of biofilms in the gut is virtually like present like 99, maybe nearly 100% of people. And about intestinal permeability, they say the same, and not only the same, actually I saw some presentations of doctors who were gastroenterologists, who was saying actually that intestinal permeability in the gut has a very strong correlation with presence of biofilms. And yeah. it looks like all these three factors, soiling biofilms and intestinal permeability in general, generally, they all go together. So what, yeah, maybe you can something like enlighten yeah. us about. 
Well, I don't know if I can enlighten, but uh, when you know, uh, uh, it's sometimes it's very crucial for us to keep on looking at the uh, things from bigger perspective, from larger perspective. Mm. Okay, and that's why the first thing I will I will say, <laughs> I would say, is that we need to understand that the concept of normal needs to be redefined. Redefined. Mm. What is normal? You know, what is normal in our society, it's not normal in the evolutionary perspective for a human race. It's really not normal. And it's like 95% of what is happening in our, I don't know how many percent, there's no scientific studies about that. But what I see that we have to redefine, we have to define a new normal in order to, to uh, let people heal. And that's, what, that's why it's a very long process. That's why I'm working with people every day for six or more months, every day, measuring every day, talking with them every day from Monday to Friday, every single day. Um, that's how we can reverse the worst, the worst conditions. Also to neurodegenerative diseases that we can talk, that's basically in the brain, that's the same area where it happens, the same environment, just different kinds of cells, different dysfunctions. Okay, that's the first thing. We have to be very open. And not only our clients has to be very open, but our, we, Arthur, you and me, and our fellow investigators, researchers, um, uh, trainers, we need to keep on understanding that we basically know very little. <laughs> and when we are talking about mem uh, intestinal membrane permeability, we have to understand that the membrane permeability, it's not only about int intestines, it's about every membrane in the body. Including blood, brain, blood, brain, blood barrier. brain oh, yeah. barrier, all the cells, uh, the membrane. And there's a, also, we, we talk about lipid layers and what kind of lipids are there. Uh, what kind of signaling when, the, uh, when we have disrupted permeability in the membrane, which is not working, then signaling is not working. So endocrinology, uh, endocrinologists would say a lot about this when signaling is not working, how our uh, hormonal, uh, signaling is, I mean, cell cannot communicate with each other. So, um, and in brain is very crucial to understand that we have uh, neurons that communicate and then we have helper cells like glia cells, astrocytes, that help them to, uh, to maintain a good environment for need of communication, which is uh, hormonal, I mean, signaling. And then we have a flow, some flow and the exchange between intracellular, extracellular fluid. Then, okay, uh, then we have an extracellular matrix, which is basically a physical part, of exoskeleton of the cell, which is, not, which is also disruptive, uh, disrupted, okay? And then um, we have uh, a different areas of, uh, inter, uh, of cellular respiration, which happens in the mitochondria, formation of ATP. What do we need? What kind of enzymes we need to? There's a basically 50, uh, over 50 enzymes that has to be present and has to work in normal way in order for, mito uh, for mitochondrial respiration to work normally, which depends very much on our sleeping pattern, um, on, uh, on the fact whether or not uh, we are using a fat as a main source for energy, and there's a lot of other factors. Uh, um, our perception of the environment, for example, do we have chronically elevated stress hormones like cortisol? If we have that, uh, we, we also have uh, what we call very often adrenal fatigue, which is uh, 
you know, um, we call it pre uh, uh, pro uh, or progesterone steel. So, so the mother of all hormones is uh, preferring one group of corticosteroids to another group of corticosteroids, which makes a major dysfunction. And uh, uh, basically, uh, we cannot achieve homeostasis. We cannot achieve balance in our hormonal regulations with, without this. So you see, this is a very big issue. And um, look again about no soiling and about connection with, uh, uh, with biofilms. Look, we need to understand that uh, um, the way we get energy in, and that's nutrition and breathing. They are very important, both of them. And if you talk to the nutrition uh, guys with, with the world of nutrition, and I'm talking a lot to, um, to, uh, to these guys that, are, that know a lot of, about nutrition, don't understand shit about breathing, Excuse my French, <laughs> and then I talk to to breathe to people to breathe, people that are talk uh, working with breathing like you know Boteco um, instructors and they don't know about nutrition, and but they say we can heal asthma uh, people with breathing and then I talk about uh, and I uh, and I uh, talk di directly to the people that know everything about nutrition and some of those people that never worked with breathing, they all of a sudden, one, two, three, four of them say, we stopped asthma without working with breathing. <laughs> oh, no, it cannot be right. Come on. We can know because breathing, you know, asthma is a problem with breathing. We can only use it with breathing retraining. Look, this is interesting. So we are entering a very, uh, you and me, we are, we are talking, we are trying to connect things together. Look, and I think we need to more and more um, enable this kind of uh, exchanges like we're doing now. You know, your experience, my experience, how can we uh, connect it together, create a powerful synergetic effect for our customers, for our clients? Because they are not patients. They are not patiently waiting. They have taken responsibility for their health. That's why they are working with us. And we have to give them this inspiration, not only motivation. They have motivation. People are dying. They have four stage, uh, stage four um, aggressive tumors. Um, they are in immediate, uh, you know, they basically in, in a hard situation. They have motivation. What they need is inspiration, which is really strong, a uh, uh, powerful factor for them. We need to inspire them with knowledge and also nudge them in their everyday process to, to give them the possibility to have this, you know, compliance because that's compliance that makes a difference. If you keep on doing the same things, keep on asking questions, keep on being inquisitive, so then you can redefine the normal for yourself because it's not easy in this society. The normal <laughs> is, is, you know, it's on the way down. It's, I mean, it's bringing us down, uh, this normal, the existing normal in, in the society, because everything is wrong. I mean, when you go into supermarket, you can see what kind of foods they are selling. Many well, of those, I mean. You can go to a health food shop <laughs> and see they have a lot of- uh, Yeah, exactly, exactly. Car car yeah. Carbohydrates, nuts, yeah, 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 beans, yeah, yeah. beans, lentils. And, and then people, you, you, yeah. you, you go online and they saw you, B, B17, you need this supplement for that. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And it's basic, layer after, after layer. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, it's it's basically that's uh, that's the business. All of those things, it's a it's a very very big business, and we have to in order to understand how we can take a real responsibility for our health. The less what what professor I learned from you basically that's what I start learning about Bucheco world mostly uh, from your works. Uh, you know, that is basically, I think it's a, for me, it has always been a kind of a Bible of, for, for breathing, um, the normal breathing. That's a very thick book. There's a lot of uh, interesting things. There's a lot of direct uh, communication about what Buteco really is. We need to, uh, to be open and we need to also understand moderation, which is another thing, which is very, very hard to teach. Because people say, okay, moderation. Uh, we have we have to need to have a moderation in breathing. We have to understand that. Then we need to enable the organic possibility for moderation in eating when we work with the hormone of satiation. Moderation in eating. Then moderation in sleep. Most of my clients, you know, when they are in the healing mode, they they sleep five hours. That's enough. That's moderation in thinking. We need to understand. And that's where we're working with one point at attention because, you know, enabling this, uh, uh, this circle, um, working with thoughts and feelings, thoughts and feelings, thoughts and feelings, it's constantly, it's like cuts off our body, our sensations, our sensitivity. And that's what we need to, to promote. It requires a lot of things. And, you know, what is immunity? We need movement for immunity to work because if we're not moving or we're moving too much we create inflammation you know so there's a you we need to in, uh, inspire and we need to keep on being open 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 up for a new knowledge so and then the uh, the results not the results it's preliminary results maybe or maybe a symptoms which is for example no soiling effect Absolutely, we stop gut permeability. We stop also permeability in other membranes. We stop inflammation in the cellular levels, uh, excuse me, in the lipid layers of membranes. We are basically swapping bad fats with good fats that are coming from nutrition. Okay, Misha, here, well, actually just, this is exactly the thing I wanted maybe to ask next about good and bad fats. So we were talking about fats in the past, and uh, like from the past, uh, we kind of, uh, when we started uh, some like four or five years ago, before knowing about uh, PTD with paleoketogenic diet, we use ketogenic diet that allow actually uh, uh, to have such things as coconut oil, MCT oil, uh, olive oil are promoted. And it seems to be that there is actually many negative effects, uh, particularly for uh, sick and severely sick people yeah. from these vegetable oils. Yeah. So what would be your comments on this part? Because I actually have already quite uh, uh, students who will make uh, changes to using only animal sources as, uh, mm. for, for their fats. Yeah. They actually men, uh, notice really noticeable benefits of not having plant oils. Yeah. Um, well, you see, uh, the plant oils, uh, they, are, they are disrupting our metabolism, basically. Um, they are promoting inflammation and um, they are disrupting a normal um, process of um, energy uh, s synthesis on the mitochondrial level. 
and yes, especially for people that are sick, we can basically, we cannot really stop um, these um, evil circle of illness without we connect really the dots and understand the role of fats in both in creation of energy, in energy synthesis, but also in preventing um, leaky membranes, <laughs> okay? And yes, some people are very, very sensitive. And um, when they stop um, eating the triggers of autoimmunity, which basically um, consists of, uh, you, you know, in the seeds of oil, uh, of oils, there's, a, there's some uh, 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 chemical, chemicals that are there to prevent the seeds or the babies of the plants from being eaten by animals. So that's a very simple, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, um, simple explanation. And that would be present in coconut oil, olive oil, uh, ordinary? Um, well, yeah, basically in all the plants, in all the plant sources. Mm -hmm. And some people are, um, you know, we have get, uh, people, you, you know, if you try to use, for example, coconut oil and uh, to get the advice from the people that are working with the ketogenic or half plant-based, for example, um, they will all say, you know, eat, uh, uh, eat you know, coconut oil. And uh, everybody tried to have uh, um, gastrointestinal problems out of that. We, if we, for example, drink, get too much this uh, coconut oil. Um, we have, we get infl uh, basically inflammation in the gut and the mm -hmm. gut reacts, um, um, yeah. Um, so with diarrhea, basically. Mm -hmm. So um, we never get this reaction from animal fats. Never, never. It never happened. It never happened. Never happened. Um, so what happens, um, we need to understand where we are in the uh, in the food pyramid, basically, our humans. Um, we need to look at our roots. Uh, we need to look at our legacy <laughs> as uh, and to our in our history, evolutionary history. And we'll need to look basically to the structure of our gut, to the structure of gastrointestinal tract that shows basically the uh, there's a uh, that the normal pH a lot of science, newer science, and old, also older science, show that the, the, the pH of the human stomach is somewhere around one and a half, which is very low, is very acidic, is very acidic. It's basically just as acidic, very cl close to cats and dogs. Cats are real full uh, carnivores. And the dogs are also carnivores, but they can, uh, as humans, they can also occasionally uh, be, um, I mean, they are omnivores, but only by, ch by chance, mm -hmm. okay? Um, if we want to work with cancer, that's my, my first uh, tri trial. I mean, I tried uh, to reverse cancer in dogs and um, I have five dogs where uh, reverse different kinds of cancer. And then the, that's the easiest thing to do because what we do, we make a transition to full uh, animal food. We, we take all other foods and in the dogs, it's very, very easy to ensure compliance. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> because you see, they don't, uh, I mean, they, they don't have other choice. We are, 
absolutely defining their lifestyle, okay? And I also, I can tell you afterwards, if you're interested, I made a, a little device for the dogs uh, from Buteco device for the dogs, basically, because where we simulate uh, the conditions in the den in, inside of the, um, where the, the dogs can um, tolerate carbon dioxide levels up to 15, 15%. 20, I think, even up to you 20. Even 20, okay, okay. I think so, I read up to 20. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's totally known that actually we can survive uh, CO2 concentrations, which for humans I would be lethal, even if my much lower For level. human, I think it's about eight, right? I don't know, 7.58, yeah. So, yes, and it's, um, um, it's angiosarcomas, for example, they are very often in dogs. That's the, uh, the tumors of the, of the, of the heart. Um, and um, well, it takes uh, from two to four months to fully reverse, to, re all, to remove all the metastasis from a dog. Um, and uh, I tried it as, as you know, several times with different breeds of dog, different places in the world. People consulted me and uh, we saw fantastic scans and fantastic stories. So, um, so we are very alike, you know, right now, uh, my dog, basically I can show you, he's uh, lying here. Um, this, his name is Teddy, and uh, he was my first <laughs> client. We reversed chronic inflammation. We, um, he had to be operated. He had um, inflammation in his joints already in the age of one, uh, one year old. And he was eating like very expensive food that it was made from uh, salmon in Denmark here. So uh -huh. I understand. But together yeah. with additives, of course, yeah? That was with the cost everything. Of the I mean, there's a salmon. I, I found it was only 5 to 10% salmon in this. So, <laughs> so I removed everything. You know, um, three months and the, all the inflammation in his joints were, were gone. Were gone. And uh, he's, a, he's a seven and a half years old and he never had any health problems. Never, ever. Okay. So what I see that we need to look at our evolutionary past. And when we find out about the pH of the stomach, about the value, or I mean, then we understand why we have uh, a pretty short intestines. Large intestines are short related to omnivores, very short. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And then we have pretty large um, um, uh, sh uh, how do you call it? Small, uh, short, small, small. intestine. Small. Yeah, pretty uh, powerful small intestine. Almost six yeah. meters, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we understand that people can survive without large intestine. Why can we survive without large intestine? Wow. Then we start really understanding the power of this knowledge of our evolutionary history. Then we start understanding the things. And then there's an interesting, uh, basically microbiota biota of, um, um, of a small intestine and microbiota uh, and in the large intestine, they have different values. I mean, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, it could be a very, very crucial for if we are, uh, if we need to digest, uh, uh, to ingest fats and in the right manner from uh, small intestines and things like that then. So we have to reevaluate a lot. And, and I think during the next years, uh, next decade, we will, we will need to 
reevaluate many of the things that we thought were 100% true about human physiology. Yeah, exactly. This is what I want you to discuss kind of maybe <laughs> next part because you mentioned a phrase which you called uh, triggers of autoimmunity. And triggers yeah. of autoimmunity, we are talking here about like uh, uh, when people have intestinal permeability, with our food, we get digested many uh, various uh, bioactive chemicals which are able to use these holes in our gut. This is like why we have intestinal permeability or leaky gut. And these chemicals later cause autoimmunity. So my question would be, what would be the range of chemicals which are triggers of autoimmunity in modern people? Like that's kind of really white, white uh, kind of a very general question because uh, virtually all people eat ordinary food. And here I'm talking about feed, things as First of all, like vegetables, fruits, but also things like pesticides, herbicides as well, like organic, not organic food. So yeah. what can you say about like kind of generally understanding of all these uh, chemicals which cause gradual destruction of gut? Because it seems that once intestinal uh, permeability appeared, it never disappears. And it, with aging, if people continue the same diet, like ordinary diet that people have these days, it just gets worse and worse. Um, well, um, there's a, there's a lot of them basically, you know, sometimes, you know, yesterday I, um, um, well, there's a myriad of them. There's a myriad of them and we don't know. They are somehow, you know, the different countries, when we look at the, um, at the, um, eco how do you call it? Bio, uh, bio, um, ecological. Um, organic organic uh, uh, thank you yeah. uh, every country has its own markings uh, how, um, I mean of quality and we also have it here in Denmark and then sometimes I'm, I look at the produce I look at the that are uh, certified and I think wow this is this is insane this is insane for example we can buy um, um, Yesterday, I've been in the harbor here, not far away from where I live. I bought some um, some cod liver, fresh cod liver. I love it. I, I you know, I um, um, it takes a couple of minutes to make it, and it's very, very nice, just with salt and pepper. Um, but it's 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 hundred percent cod liver, mm -hmm. and then. You can go to the supermarket and you can look at the, some produce and you buy cod liver in conserves, you know. Uh, in cans. In cans. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you look at the ingredients and it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's like... I think, <laughs> I, think, I think I know what you're talking. You're talking about princess. It's available uh, in Europe in many countries. Princess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's like... Uh, yeah, but besides cod liver, there's like a 20 ingredients. And like five, yeah, and, and there's a five, uh, yeah, uh, stabilizers and, and I mean, it's E numbers. And this is certified. Look, this is not normal. This is not normal. You look, when, when we're working um, here um, in my, uh, with my clients, I'm trying really to uh, tell them, okay, look guys, what, what I'm gonna tell you now, it could sound like 
on the other edge, that's on the edge of not moderation, but more like very restriction. But what I really want you to understand that a very, very um, few uh, of kinds of produce that I want you to eat. Why do I do that? Because I basically, I want you to reverse something that you have accumulated during the last 20, 30, 40 years, which is a chronic disease, which is a, well, I don't use the words last stage, but it's a, it's pretty severe level of disease. So you have to understand, and very often when I'm talking with people that are not, that are well, also sick with cancer, then I'm saying, you know, um, we're talking about your life. We're talking about your health. It's your life. And they start and say, but you know, I love bread. <laughs> and then I, I, I used to have a kind of a couple of seconds or five to 10 seconds of a pause in order to find my one point. And then I show them these pictures of the weight. And it's like, okay, you're taking life bread. Oh, my life bread. Okay, bread, I understand. It's, well, yeah. I understand. Okay, so I am I, not, um, I stop conversations there, you know, because if people, but the most of the people, they understand the message, the, at least the people that have passed through the filter of my message on the net, because I, I really want to work with people that have passed through the filter of understanding of the willingness, of the inquisitiveness, of the ability and the will to ask questions okay, and being challenged with some new ideas. If they pass through this filter, I would like to work with them, okay, because otherwise I don't have time to work with them, because, okay? So yeah, yeah, I understand, yeah. You understand. So uh, um, this, this is moderation, we have to understand. This is not just a, a, some idea, crazy idea, of crazy Russian. Um, this is the idea of we need to have only essential nutrients. That's why I'm not calling it paleolithic ketogenic. I'm calling it essential ketogenic. Why? Because um, that's what I'm, well, we eating only nutrients that are essential from the point of view of our evolutionary past, of our evolutionary history, that what our uh, DNA, that what our genetic code is based on. And when we use this, we eliminate at the same time, that's the other part um, of the picture, that we eliminate all the others. And the others are possible triggers of autoimmunity and chronic inflammation. That's the thing. You see, that's why ketogenic is not enough. Ketogenic is great, but it's only a, a very, very uh, important, but still a part of the picture. We need to put many things. Basically, we need to create a new environment for ourselves. That's why I say we need to understand, understand what the, the new normal, we have to create a new normal up here for us with understanding and then physically in our environment, which means new way of breathing, learning breathing, learning moderate movement, learning structured movement. We ever, didn't even uh, uh, talk, uh, uh, you know, um, um, uh, touched the um, the uh, the area of movement, which is very very crucial for the mental part, for the digestion, for the immunity, for everything. Okay, so we need to create that, and um, 
that's that's the thing. That's the thing, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense. Misha, you mentioned like uh, you started to talk about liver and about like we need to kind of make changes in our students. I actually had very recently in last uh, like probably in the last few weeks, I had at least three, maybe four students mm -hmm. uh, for whom it was very difficult <laughs> to convince them to eat liver. <laughs> so I don't know. My, my first like kind of recent thinking about, well, kind of understandable. These were ordinary, uh, ordinary like guys actually, they were uh, from England, so British and uh, some American people as well. So kind of ordinary Western people. And uh, probably yeah, it makes sense, like many, many Western people like eating cleaver kind of. But uh, what I realized from like recent thinking, like recent days, that actually we talk a lot these days that human brain evolved. And like if we compare ourselves with chimpanzees and what was going on like during the last four million years, that human brain e evolved due to us eating meats. But I think this phrase actually not accurate because uh, the exact or more accurate phrase should be, we evolved by eating meats and organ meats. Yeah. Maybe can you tell about that? Because I believe that, this, that should be totally true. Well, yeah, you see, it's nose to tail, basically. And what, um, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we, uh, basically, there's a lot of paleoanthropological science that shows that we evolved first as scavengers. Okay, we evolved as scavengers uh, taking over from um, big predators. Hyenas, the the, wolves. The, the carcasses, no, no, the carcasses from big predators. Um, okay, um, so that's what happened when we came down from the trees and basically, you know, and then um, our past, evolutionary past with the simians which are the kinds of apes that we evolved, that we split the path from, the simians. When we came down from the trees and were alone in the savanna, so what we started to do, it's uh, basically we started, uh, our profile was a profile of a scavenger. That's why we still, we have the 1.5 pH still. And that's the same pH as on the real scavenger. Like for example, um, all the big, um, 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 you know, how do you call it? The scavenger uh, birds, they have um, a pH of 1.5. Okay. And hyena, <laughs> I mean, wolves. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an interesting thing, basically. And um, it also, but, but you know, and the normal human being, normal, what is normality when we, when we are eating a lot of plant food, will these oils, we often have a pH um, between three and four mm -hmm. in our stomach or up to five. And then people ask, why are we sick? Well, because uh, your normality uh, is defined with some, um, with some wrong parameters and wrong uh, you know, things. We need to redefine the normality and understand our evolutionary path. So, and then, um, 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 so how to uh, connect from here? Um, 
Eating liver, maybe you can come yeah, in. Eating liver, yeah, how, absolutely, absolutely. How, how can you make your students, how you convince your students to, to start eating liver? <laughs> yeah, but um, um, basically eating liver is a must that I see right now, is a must um, only in the, in, the, in the first period of adaptation, as I can see now, the most of the people, when we are adapted, um, and when we have, because what is adaptation? There's a lot of different parts of what adaptation is. That's um, one of the first ones is adaptation of the, of the um, process, processes in, in our mitochondrial processes, enzymes, okay? And the, when the enzymes adapt to process um, full profiles of um, protein, for example, and fat, full profiles, we have nine essential amino acids. Yeah, and it's very crucial that we have it in the same structure, in the same profile, um, what we get from the meats, for example. Uh, we don't get these full profiles from the plants. We get only a parts of those profiles and then we have to kind of uh, make them fit, but will they never fit because they, they come from the different DNA, from the different plants, different species. They will never fit this amino acid profile. We will always have some deficiencies. Um, well, so when we pass through um, this adaptation and we start getting, um, basically ingesting and uh, the bioavailability, so to say, of the, of the red meat will be maximized for us, meaning that we will, be, um, we will get all the micronutrients that we need from basically red meat, occasionally organs, different parts of the body, okay? In the start, why do we need, I think, to eat liver? Because if we really want to get all the micronutrients, we are not really adapted to extract all the micronutrients like 100%. Like you get 100% and you, uh, but you ingest, uh, you basically, you, they, what they're readily available for us when we are not adapted, maybe 20 or 30%, then it's 40, then it's 50. So when with adaptation, the more adaptation, the more bang for the buck, for the buck, so to say, you get from the raw material, which is liver or meat, okay? So when you are fully adapted, you can, uh, basically you can just eat meat and nothing else. And that's what I see on the long-term people that have been long-term carnivores, for example, for like 10 to 15 years. And the children, also the families. And look, in two weeks, I'm going to Colorado to the first carnivore conference in the world in Boulder, uh, Colorado. Um, starting, uh, it's uh, just one day conference, 7th of March. And I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna meet. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of interesting people there that we're also gonna uh, we're gonna talk about the the current um, uh, you know you probably heard about Lancet Eat campaign yeah. yeah and there's a we we need to let people understand why this uh, who runs this campaign what are the industry interests the vested interest in this and this is crazy we really need to that's why I'm working a lot of I mean reading about this and understanding what are the ethical problems. What, uh, I mean, for vegetarians and vegans and because many of the people that I have now on my boot camp that are eating meat, 
they are vegans and carnivores many, many years. And uh, we can, again, that's interesting to see that while we are in the reproductive age, we can be vegans and vegetarians. It basically promotes uh, detoxification in, cer in, certain, in certain degree. Uh, okay, but we, uh, but we are deprived on nutrition side. Okay, but uh, we can, yes, we can detox with vegetarian and vegan, but it, la it lacks uh, uh, a part of the nutritional part. So we don't get the essential nutrients. And we can tolerate it uh, until 35 and a lot around. And then in the post-reproductive age, it has to be, uh, we, we have to understand that if we want health for us, there's nothing called natural health in the post-reproductive period. Okay. <laughs> we, we need to provide for health. If we want to survive in the post-reproductive period after 35, 40, we need to understand the essential needs of our body. And that's where, uh, when you make a, a transition from um, vegetarian to, uh, to, um, to carnivore, kind of essential ketogenic, then you need liver. Then some people, you know, um, we need br brains also, lamb brains you can get. I have a butcher in Copenhagen that I have, uh, I told him what I'm doing. And then I say, you know, you will gonna have a lot of people coming to you and asking you to, uh, to, to, you know, to order, to order lamb brains. But you have to understand why. You have to help these people. And he's doing, there's a lot of people coming there of my clients asking for lamb brains. And then liver, you know, um, sweetbreads, different internal organs. We need all of that because they are filled with micronutrients. And how do I make my people there eat there? We, do, we make sausages, we make soups, we make stews. So we kind of disguise very often liver. Many people, they just eat liver, like take a liver, thin slice into butter, eat. And um, some of the people also eat it raw. I showed them how to eat raw liver, raw lamb liver, raw lamb, lamb hearts. Okay, they eat it raw. And it's very tasty when you have transcended the first idea of, oh, this is not normal. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, but you need, but it's not for everybody. But people that want to eat, they eat raw, um, raw meat, raw liver, uh, raw hearts. It's, it's great, it's okay, it's not a problem. And they also mix it. They eat, maybe they take a piece of meat and uh, while they're waiting for the frying pan, warming up the, the, uh, the butter, you know, then they just cut a couple of slices of raw meat, enjoy it, and they put the rest to fry. Many people do that. I showed them how to do it because that's a part of the process. Oh, that's nice. Let me, let me try it. The same with liver, absolutely with fresh liver. Um, and then somebody don't like it, so I started teaching them how to make sausages. Um, okay, so they buy um, they buy meat grinders, all of them, mechanical meat grinders, where they put all the intestines together with meat and fat in, and um, they buy uh, they buy um, natural gut lining from the uh, from yeah from lamb and from um, cow and from pig also. Uh, from pig, yeah, pig, yeah, the thick sausages and thin sausages with lamb. So I teach them how to do it, and uh, they are very happy. And we have children on my boot camp. Mm 
down to seven years old with, uh, with uh, brain tumors. And they are uh, they're getting better. And this is a, another thing, uh, talking about how to work with children. You need to educate parents and parents are 100% on. They are totally engaged and they're working. And the children, they, they start to educate. You know, uh, one of the children, it's a family from, um, from Edinburgh, from Scotland. And I told him, uh, I, I made this like a, in the session, we have Q and A's every day on Zoom where people see each other, like all the families um, ask questions related to the teaching from the previous day. They, we have a closed Facebook groups where they put answer, uh, questions and I'm answering every day those uh, questions on the Q&A. So children also there, so I do this to him like, I love you, you are doing a great job, good training, seven years old. And you know what he answered? He tells me, he tells me, Misha, be aware that you are, um, you are wasting your energy. So the seven years old guy, he understands he's, he's wasting his chi. His father told him, so don't just, don't do anything. I mean, only eat with your mouth, kiss with your mouth, do, but only breathing here. So I'm doing this, seven years old guy. He says, Misha, you are wasting your chi. It's like, what? <laughs> so, and he's eating, uh, he's eating sausages. His father making sausages for him. And he loves those sausages. And he's doing, you know, all buteco exercises. He's doing frolov exercise. He's, he's doing exercises um, on, on the rebounder. He's doing, it's like crazy. They, these guys, they are training their ass off. I mean, but they enjoy it. They enjoy it. They make it. They invent new exercises while dancing with these children and uh, different things. So it's a very living way of working. It's like an environment you create and you, you define a new normal. And the children are, will also understand this. Okay, yeah, excellent. Uh -huh. Great to hear <laughs> all these stories. Now, uh, another kind of uh, related probably idea, what you already was discussing at the beginning like of uh, this last part is uh, uh, that people, while they stay vegetarian, they will likely, like, looks like from our, again, modern, like, limited whatever viewpoint we have, but from whatever experience we have from recovered people, like, and that's already a lot of people who recovered, it seems that just having vegetarian or vegan diet, like, they would just never improve. If, if we are talking about people with advanced, like, let's say, stages three or stages four cancer. So, and, but the thing is like, uh, kind of, you told that it's not possible to receive all essential nutrients from vegetable sources, but it, my, my view actually is that it's, it's, if, 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 uh, after immune reaction or intestinal permeability is present, that means we create damage all the time. We eat all these uh, bioactive chemicals. And so fiber it, also fiber. Yeah. You think, you think the fiber is destructive as well? Like, absolutely, absolutely. You know, Vili, Vili is, uh, I mean, we have very big problems with fiber. And you see, we, um, you see, uh, the real vegetarians, I mean, the primates, for example, primates, their uh, large intestines and their cecum also is made especially to process uh, leaves, leaves. And there's a lot of fiber, plant fiber. 
and they have absolutely they have different uh, system they get basically the um, uh, the, uh, the the fats they synthesize fats from the plant material uh, through fermentation inside, and we don't, inside, inside the gut inside of the cecum inside of the gut yeah and we don't have this it's not a part of our i mean um, our villi is there but they are not made to process a lot of fiber it's not in part of our i mean set up <laughs> that's the wrong balance of uh, uh, energy uh, i mean choosing the the right source of energy is very very crucial for us before we st start thinking about healing process so uh, a part of the chronic inflammation and part of gut permeability that's the immense amounts of fiber we have absolutely and that is you think uh, prevents healing of the gut absolutely because actually it's common to to hear and to, like it's kind of a common knowledge these days that when people have uh, let's say even constipation or some other digestive problems they go to a pharmacy and they say oh that's a fiber source for you so that you have easier bowel movements yeah but look it's another thing that's another thing that's also because we have a internal sphincter and the internal sphincter because of our movement patterns is not working we used to think only about the external external sphincter sphincters that's in the right behind the anus but the it's it's a part of it is also that we have an internal sphincter that is not working is basically uh, uh, and that's because uh, we have normal toilets, you know, um, when we go to the bathroom, we are sitting down and we are not, uh, um, so there's a wrong position basically for a normal peristaltic movement, for a normal, um, uh, um, how do you call it, the um, evaluation, uh, not evaluation, the uh, e uh, evacuation it's called. Mm -hmm. For a normal evacuation process, we need to have a working internal sphincter. Um, and we need to move. And You're probably talking about squatting, yeah? Squatting, exactly, yeah. yeah. We need to. We need to be. You need. We need to understand uh, that squatting, going down to the knees, have strong legs. It's a part of our. Uh, I mean, that's the part. Again, you know, our body is designed in a beautiful way, but we are uh, letting it degenerate with our lifestyle. That's the thing. And it seems that the huge problem is that there are so many layers of this lifestyle and changes. Which so many layers. So became, many layers. Yeah. became so yeah. common that actually yeah. it's like even somebody discovers maybe few, few ideas. It's so difficult to get to a real cure. Like when people are able to start to like even like progressing and making symptoms. Yeah, yeah, you know. And you know, and when I'm telling people about all of those things, they are starting setting one and one together and they start understanding. And basically, I am, what helps very much, that I'm doing all of the things that I'm preaching. Basically, I'm telling them to do. I have an experience with that because I'm doing them every day. For example, I can show you uh, my, <laughs> I can show you my, my bathroom. Uh, so look, in the, in the bathroom looks like that. Um, <clears throat> uh, you see, you oh, see yeah. that, yeah. Elevation, so, yeah. Yeah, elevation. So that's um, how can I do? How can um, I emulate the normal position for myself? And I ca how can I train my? 
my normal muscles, you know, for normal illumination, because it's a very big part of our life. And it's not funny. I mean, it's a very, very serious thing. And then if we're talking about, um, remember, we talked about there's something called Bristol stool chart. We're talking normal elimination, Bristol stool chart. It's a chart of different kinds of, uh, you know, feces, uh, seven different degrees. And in the middle, we have a normal one. And that's a number four. And number four, it's a one that slips very, very easy. It's like a little sausage slips and it takes about uh, 10 seconds to eliminate. So look, there's so many things that can make it to become to another grade, much bulkier that will prevent elimination, that will prevent normal peristaltic movement to work normally, okay? So there's a lot of different aspects that we need to understand in order to uh, create an environment when the normal elimination is very easy things that take 10 seconds. Ask any human being, modern human being, about the amounts of, um, toilet paper they're using, about the time they are using, sitting on this, you know, and using time to eliminate. It takes a long time, uh, every time. So breathing is crucial. Movement patterns are crucial. Normal distribution of strength between different muscles in our body is crucial because we need to also talk about movement a lot, about the role of antagonist muscles and how we need to um, basically prevent um, uh, that the pair, one of the pair of them is getting uh, stronger because we have wrong posture, we have the wrong structure, okay? Um, and that's a very, very big problem in the normal function of our uh, mind also because very often, it, it, uh, the tension that it creates when the antagonists are not equally strong, okay? So we start to overcompensate. And the overcompensation is a phenomenon that tends to um, create a very strong a chronic tensions, different places. Also, in a, in a, uh, we have a muscle that is called transversus that is going, it's a deep, very deep muscle um, that um, wraps the diaphragm, basically. One of the four um, abdominal muscles, the strong abdominal muscles. And when it's chronically tense, we have a problem because um, we cannot breathe normally. And when we cannot breathe normally, we cannot push lymph upwards. That's the four stage of lymph movement from down to up. So immunity is not working. Okay, um, we, we're creating, excuse me, we are creating the backflow of toxins. Oh, I'm, excuse me. We create a backflow of toxins back to the internal organs, which creates inflammation. And that's the start, that's where all the disease starts. That's the backflow of, uh, of lymph to the internal organs, to the place, uh, just a second, uh, to the place that is called cisterna chile. And that's a part of our lymphatic system. Um, uh, just a second. That's a part of our lymphatic systems. Uh, and that's, if we talk about God, 
and his uh, ability of creation, I mean, engineering, then it's one of the very few parts that possibly are a single point of, um, of error or um, that we have. Because it's a, it's a very narrow passage, a cylinder of lymphatic system that uh, connects, is like a, a, the, uh, the drain from different organs um, and promotes movement upwards. And they connect to this little channel, which is called cisterna chile. And if the viscosity of our lymph is wrong, if it's too viscous, for example, we have too much, too many triglycerides or, or chylum, chylum, chylomicrons that are bearing the fats. It's too fat, this. So it gets stuck. It gets basically, um, we need to flush it. And how can we flush it? That's a very big problem. Um, so it, it creates a backflow of lymph down to external organ and we cannot really flush the toxins and then it starts accumulating and that's the beginning of a downfall. So the only thing we need to understand, not the only, one of the things, that when we start using triglycerides in the blood for energy, the viscosity of the blood gets normal. We promote normal lymph movement and then we start breathing using our diaphragm for breathing then we can help the motor because you see the immunity, immune system doesn't have its own motor. It's our muscles. And one of the main muscles for the immunity is the diaphragm muscle. If this muscle doesn't work, lymphatic system doesn't work. And then we can talk about immunity and how people think about immunity. They think they need to buy some medicines in the, in the health shop to promote their immunity. That's the level, that's the level. Okay, excellent. Yeah, Misha, I wanted kind of to have maybe a short discussion about this, uh, I would say, like really kind of general topic of addressing or treating cancer. And this kind of comes from my perspective, like what I saw during all these years, that, uh, that uh, from the past, like for many years, uh, it can be found in my uh, book on cancer, which is called Doctors Who Cure Cancer, from the Bottega or Briefing Retraining World, it has been known that uh, people are able to reverse cancer if we progress and achieve normal breathing in the Bottega health. And unfortunately, what we also discovered is that it works well for cancer of stage one before it starts metastasize. metastasize. Mm -hmm. uh, it works quite okay if it's early stages of metastasis. But when we are talking about stages and three and four, it does not work. So that was the impression, again, and the experience of Soviet doctors or, and Russian doctors who tried to apply the Buteyka method, uh, probably maybe uh, by thousands, even on thousands of patients in the past. So that was their experience. Like on one side, like we have pure application of pure breath, like just breathing without addressing diet because we could keep the ordinary diet, like just following general Buteyka ideas, like eat when you're hu uh, not, uh, only hungry, stop in time, and so on. Now, another part here comes from, uh, like again, looking purely like from maybe theoretical viewpoint. So Buteyka is able to reverse cancer of stage one and maybe like one and a half early metastasis, uh, that's fine, but it does, and tumors uh, do disappear when, when students improve and we achieve 
uh, normal health according to Bottega, tumors start to shrink very fast. So that is experience which we got. And this is what we also showed in the clinical trial on about 120 people, very large trial. Now that's one part. On another side, we have a diet. And it's really fascinating. Like there are several study, uh, studies we published about specific cases. And these were cases with uh, brain tumors, glioblastoma, uh, colon cancer, and lung cancer. At least these three I remember. Maybe there are some more that we had uh, with application of uh, PKD, paleogenic, keto, paleolithic ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. and, but the result that we usually get is they stop progression of cancer. Actually, the cancer tumor remains of the same size, even though I think in a few cases, we had situation when a tumor were able to shrink just applying the uh, PKD diet. Like, first of all, it seems me totally fascinating, like with my all past thinking, like, oh, yep, yep. cancer we only can do only stage one, and now it's a diet alone, like can stop cancer three and four. That looks like totally kind of with yeah. all these years of thinking, like analyzing and writing about that in the past. Like, so cancer stages in three and four can be stopped with PKD diet, but which generally does not reverse, is not able to uh, make tumors to disappear. But when we apply it with Bottega, it seems that uh, together they work super well. So that means not only the uh, we address the presence of oxygen on the cell level, but we also address, instead of glucose, we provide, again, ketones, as maybe you can comment about this part, like how ketones are able to suppress cancer. Plus, in addition of that, we are able to, uh, this is another key part, like why uh, PKD is more efficient in cancer treatment in relation to uh, ordinary or standard ketogenic diet. We also address intestinal permeability or autoimmunity. So what would be kind of maybe your thoughts in this area? Um, look, um, first, we need to understand that the, uh, the process of creating energy and the process also of uh, when, the, when this process go awry, uh, that, that it's not working, that it, it, um, um, it requires both oxygen and different nutrients, right? On the cellular level in the mitochondria. Um, we call it cellular respiration. Um, when it doesn't work, the cell starts to seek some other uh, ways of sur survival, surviving. And they, uh, when the normal um, respiration is um, dysfunctional, they start using um, uh, fermentation of glucose, fermentation of lactic acid, um, glutamate, glutamine as, as the main sources um, of energy. Um, cancer cells, they mutate basically to another ways of uh, supporting their, their, their function, okay? And their uh, mechanisms, um, so th this mechanism of, um, this flexibility becomes impaired, becomes impaired, okay? Their, we call it metabolic flexibility, becomes impaired, okay? Um, the other cells are metabolically flexible, the normal cells, they can shift for example, from glucose uh, glycolysis to lipolysis, which is, means breaking down fats for energy. Cancer cells, uh, they don't have this possibility because they're, it's impaired. It's, they cannot come, for example, and use ketones, most of the um, cancer mutations. And that's what we um, use um, in, 
designing the, the diet uh, or the nutritional way of reversing cancer. So when we shift to ketosis, all the cells can follow, all the normal cells in the body, excluding cancer cells, because they don't have the metabolic flexibility. They, can, they keep on metabolizing glucose and lactic acid. And, and because when we shift to, uh, to ketogenic and ketogenic adaptation, we go through one, two, three, and four, three stages, up to four stages of ketogenic adaptation, um, one week, one month, a half a year, one and a half years. There's a we, they are measurable those stages of adaptation. I can talk about that in another um, another time. Um, uh, we can measure it when they shift, and they can thrive on that. So we see the levels of glucose are going down because when we go to ketosis, we 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 uh, stop eating a lot of carbohydrates the glucose level in the blood goes down. So the ability of cancer to proliferate based on um, glycolysis, based on glucose, is basically gets also, um, we, they get deprived of the, of the main energy fuel, energy source, glucose. And uh, cancer is very well known of being very voracious mm -hmm. over to glucose. Consumer, yeah. Consume a lot of glucose. So when we deprive it from, from the glucose, and very often uh, in the cases that I'm working with, sometimes we um, cut glucose three times for many people. Very often it goes down two times from, um, you know, from like eight to three and a half to four in the first period of adaptation or two, uh, two first periods of adaptation. For some people it goes down from 12 down to four. So um, it, it deprives uh, cancer from the main energy source. That's the first thing that happens. And also creation of uh, when we stop, when we start working, breathing normally, the creation of lactic acid, which is also very, very crucial fuel for cancer. Um, normalizes. We also use lactic acid as a metabolite, but for the cancer, we deprive cancer for energy this way. And another thing, there's a, when you, when you are interested in metabolic uh, approaches for cancer, you probably know the name of Professor Seyfried, Thomas Seyfried from Boston University. And he's now together with uh, Dr. D'Agostino, Professor Agostino also uh, from UCLA, I think. They are working on the, uh, on also, it's called press pulse therapy, which is using ketogenic diet plus some drugs to lower levels of glutamine because um, they, uh, uh, they say that uh, glutamine is one of the main sources of fuel also for, uh, for aggressive brain tumors. Uh, when I met Professor Seyfried, Last time it's, I presented, uh, he presented on the, <clears throat> on the conference for ch children cancers in London for four months ago. And I made a little presentation there too about Boteco world connecting with the ketogenic. And we had a long talk there. And I told him, you know, are you aware that there are some studies showing that when you uh, normalize the handling of carbon dioxide in the body, you also normalize handling of glutamine and glutamate. And there's studies from 60s and 70s, and I found them. 
And um, he said, no, I was not aware about that. So basically what we're doing, we're also, is, use, we're also yeah, using is, those pathways. This is Kazarinov's paper I think you're talking about. It's, it was quite famous. <laughs> It's not, not only not only because it's not only Russian studies. It's also Russian uh, studies in uh, the West that are showing that. I actually yeah. have it on the website. There is a page about glutamine synthesis and its connection with carbon dioxide on the normal exactly. breathing. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah. So um, you know, now I published my my first paper um, in this book. Basically, I have it here. Uh, it's called "The Science of Hormesis in Health and Longevity." Mm -hmm. Yeah, and here um, I have a long chapter, chapter 23, um, just I want to show you about vacuum breathing, connection with ketogenic. And in this article, I'm quoting a lot of your... That's okay, yeah. Thank also, you. Also, so... Um, uh, <clears throat> So, and, and here we can see about, uh, I'm very interested in looking at the synergetic effects because that's what's interesting for me as an engineer to connect the dots. And it's only one view because if you look at this, um, um, at this picture and um, well, um, I'll just show you shortly this picture, <clears throat> this picture. And in this picture, you can see that we have to connect different areas. You see, there's a triangle and there's a, uh, there's a line, the, a red line. And it creates, it's a kind of a star, it creates five uh, dots, right? And if you know combinatorics, when you, when you have a star with five dots, when you, uh, it creates 10 um, unique pairs, right? The star with five dots creates 10 unique pairs. So you see, when we are talking about synergetic effect of combining um, normal breathing, quote Artur Rahimov, and normal nutrition, that's just one of the 10 pairs. So um, this article just talk uh, about one of the 10 pairs and how I structure my uh, my teaching normally for my long 50 weeks courses and also for my very intensive boot camp, uh, I go through all of those 10 connections, letting people understand how movement patterns uh, help immunity, how breathing help movement, how nutrition help mental side, and so on and so forth. 10, and there's also something called process which is very crucial. How do we uh, ensure this, uh, um, you know, that people are basically doing what they are, we want them to do, compliance. And that's the art of creating a process which is organic. So we don't, uh, we don't force it through, but we let it happen instead with very few steps, small steps. It's called Kaizen technique. A Kaizen is a kind of a technique um, when we are making big things happen with very small steps, but consecutive and repeatable. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, diet actually includes, uh, maybe that part, maybe you can comment a little bit, two parts, because 
uh, in terms of the effect on cancer. So diet influences cancer through ketones. So we like provide ketones instead of glucose. We cut glucose to minimum or maybe even to zero right? in a good diet. But plus in addition, we address autoimmunity. So we address intestinal permeability. That's the quality of the diet that we also we are talking about. It's not just having just ketogenic diet, but going beyond to fix uh, the leaky gut. Yeah. Absolutely. And we have to remember when the glucose goes down, it never goes down to zero because we also get the glucose uh, basically from animal sources um, also. And, but it's, it's normal. And we have to understand that people, you know, say, oh, you will deprive your brain. Your brain will not work. Um, no, it will work. It's normal for brain to work on ketones. And that's why normal cells, uh, both glia cells, and uh, which are hel helper cells and neurons, they can work on ketones. Only between five to ten percent of, five to seven, I think, percent of uh, 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 brain cells can only exclusively work on glucose. Okay, and and the amount of gliconeogenesis (GNG) that is working in the liver, the process of the liver that's synthesizing the uh, the glucose. It, um, uh, it's scaled, it's, it's, it's made in a very uh, smart way because basically in the normal state, it creates about, um, it has um, a capacity that is five times more than the needs of the brain for glucose in the normal state, five times. Mm -hmm. So the production uh, capacity of gluconeogenesis in normal state. And then if you need to, um, uh, to go into uh, fight and flight response, which is why we need glycolysis, uh, in ver uh, I mean, theoretically, from our evolutionary past. You see, because ketones and fats, that's the long-term energy. That's when we are hunting on the prairies uh, and we can run for two days without hitting the wall of hypoglycemia. That's like having a very big tank of energy with you all the time. People that are not keto adapted, they will heat the wall after half an hour. And that's why the, uh, the athletes that are biking, which I also coached, I coached the, the teams, uh, biking team from England. And I have a couple of uh, um, podcasts with interviews from, uh, from a cycling team from England. Um, they were able to run on... Uh, uh, for like five, five hours with no food. Just water. Mm -hmm. uh, just water. Mm -hmm. And there were some people from, from Mexico also, Mexi uh, from uh, US, and they called it grasa y agua, fat and water. So we have basically our own hashtag that's called grasa y agua in Spanish, <laughs> fat and water. So, and their teammates, they've been uh, uh, using the, uh, the uh, uh, glucose twice an hour oh, or three times an hour, mm -hmm. okay? Three times an hour or four times sometimes, you know. And the others, uh, five hours with no feed, no external food. I mean, nothing. Only own external reserves. That's what we can run on. This is fantastic. Wow. So, um, what, what happens? Uh, again, remember, um, for all of the listeners, uh, guys, remember that if, you, if somebody says, you know, your brain, you will get brain fog. Yes, you will get brain fog. That's the part of the first stage of adaptation that goes around one week. 
for somebody never get brain fog, which somebody takes two days, somebody takes one week maximum, that's brain fog. And then you get out of the fog and you get fantastic um, feeling of um, clear, very, very clear brain. So you can't function on ketones, you can't function on fat. And only five to 7% of brain cells uh, are, need, are in direct need of glucose that is provided through the liver. This is very, very crucial. So another part of cancer healing is, um, um, well, autoimmunity. that's autoimmunity, exactly. And when, uh, because people, um, what is cancer? Cancer is basically inflammation that is uh, gone bananas, is uncontrollable, uh, it's chronic. And um, uh, cancer cells, they have uh, the ability that is called um, uh, oncotaxis. And oncotaxis, that, uh, that the cancer cells ability to move towards the sources of inflammation and mm -hmm. get a kind of a, around the sources of inflammation. It's called um, uh, chemotaxis. So that's how... Uh, uh, the basically the uh, meta met met uh, metastatic development works. So if we have metastatic, if we have inflammation in different parts of the body, cancer cells traveling um, through uh, the blood, uh, uh, the blood channels, or uh, the uh, right, and then uh, transported by the blood, uh, and then they stop in the places where, and try to gather start gathering in the places where we have inflammation. Very often uh, around lymph nodes also, okay? So that's um, because lymph nodes are clogged, maybe because of that, mm -hmm. which is again, connects with the triglycerides, levels of triglycerides, which define the viscosity of the blood and of the lymph also. So when we start burning triglycerides and people in my boot camp, they triglycerides go down like three to four times, sometimes, I mean, up to four times down in a couple of months. So it's crazy. Um, there's a, um, yeah, and the, there's a basically a term of very fat blood. And um, I don't remember what it's called, but uh, um, I heard it several times in my boot camp. And this, it's not a disease. It's just a symptom of a metabolic dysfunction. Wow, there's a lot of them. So we have to stop calling diseases for the sym symptoms for the diseases. We have only one disease, it's disease of chronic inflammation, disease of metabolic dysfunction. It's called metabolic syndrome. It's multifactorial syndrome. And in order to reverse the syndrome, we have to address all the factors. That's basically my main message. Not only breathing, not only nutrition, not only movement, not only immunity work, not only mental thing, not only building up a process and nudging people, um, teaching and, um, you know, we have to connect all the dots. That's why it's called metabolic syndrome. Excellent. So, yeah, yeah, you know, permeability, I, I needed to uh, answer the question, because, but it's because you see uh, the permeability problem. It's a problem of chronic inflammation, basically, in all the membranes. So when you stop inflammation, by removing all the triggers of inflammation, which are the oils, the uh, uh, refined flowers, 
everything. I mean, all of those things, all together. All the vegetable oils that are um, heavily, uh, I mean, produced with the help of chemicals, they are, um, <laughs> okay? All of those things that trigger inflammation are away. Well, there's no inflammatory triggers. And then we, stop with, we start with normal breathing, normalizing our energy pr uh, uh, pr process uh, in, the, in, the, in the cells. Well, there's, it's, it's, it's not a ma magic, some kind of black magic that we can reverse a disease. And also third and fourth stage of cancer, which I'm working with, um, that's the majority of the people that I have. Also, I have some clients with chronic lymphatic leukemia. And I saw on them, actually, I learned a lot especially when one of the clients, that, uh, uh, that's the woman, she was basically one of the leaders of vegan movement in the world. So I cannot disclose her name. It's still only one of my clients that I did not disclose the name of because all of them, when they are healed, they say, okay, Misha, uh, I, I ask them, like, you, you can give a testimonial with video with your name? Yes, everybody can give testimonials with video with a name, including this one woman. So we reversed um, we worked for six months with working with breathing and ketogenic diet. And only after she took off the last things that she really clinged to, and that was macadamia nuts and avocado and zucchini, these three things. Zucchini, avocado, and macadamia nuts. And most of the ketogenic guys will say, okay, this is great things. Macadamia is great. Um, zucchini is neutral, which they would say, not, not a problem at all. It's green anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and avocado is fantastic. Look, after the day when we removed all of those three, she called me and said, Misha, it's first time in my life I have energy. <laughs> she had Crohn's, Crohn's disease from 12 years old. She's a, it's a woman. Uh, in the end of 30s, Crohn's disease from 12 years old, and uh, leukemia. That's the first time in her life she, she, she got energy, not like big energy, not like bigger energy. No, 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 she just said, I got energy for the first time in my life. Right, this okay. story tells a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Misha, what about kind of maybe small practical question? Did you have any uh, clients of yours with cancer who managed to make like really big changes and to reverse the disease while having root canals? Um, I, um, yeah, good question. I always check it with my clients and I make them remove the root canals, yeah. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a major uh, factor. It's one of the major factors that also let us go through the plateaus in the, uh, which is crucial for us in the breathing retraining. Um, and um, yeah, uh, well, it's a good, good question. I don't think so. I don't think okay. so. No, mm -hmm. I don't think so. Okay. Now, uh, if I hear, if I hear that people are in very serious trouble and they have uh, um, root canals, and I make your test. Remember the test with the this test okay. with the uh, pencil. With the, pen, with yeah. The pencil, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, <laughs> that's very the, crude, yeah. That's uh, very crude, yeah, just but it's one of the ways too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I uh, assign. I have a couple of doctors, different places in the world that are certified to remove the, uh, the uh, you know, this. Um, 
because it's operation it has to be done in, in a very controlled environment to not spill the toxins. Um, there's some doctors that are certified in England that I know and also in uh, Denmark that can make this. And that's basically the association of those doctors that do this. Um, yeah, it's crucial. Absolutely, I agree. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, I want to kind of maybe finish this part with cancer, which he still has, I still have many questions actually, but it just, time is kind of, uh, we already have quite a long time. Like the only last thing I wanted to discuss, maybe the whole different topic, uh, you mentioned a little bit other brain diseases. And in this question, I want first to start you, uh, can you just maybe generally describe your experience that I'm talking about, just maybe if you can describe first results, what results you achieved, uh, in, in relation to Parkinson and Alzheimer? Yeah, yeah. Look, very good question. I'm happy you're asking because, um, you know, when we are connecting uh, brain cancer uh, with neurodegenerative disease, we start understanding some very, very crucial uh, aspects of why do we get the disease? Because you see, um, these two kinds of diseases are situated in the same environment, in the brain environment, in, the, in our skull. Um, and you see neurons and helper cells. There's two kinds of cells, I mean, in general terms. Neurons that uh, make us basically humans, they, they communicate in pretty, pretty simple cells, basically. And then we have cells that called helper cells, glia, astrocytes, uh, that are helper cells, that are making the right environment, basically. Um, uh, they are providing for the right setup for the neuron cells uh, um, to, um, to live in, basically, yeah. So neurons are very simple, yeah, and the, um, they are not flexible cells in the terms of energy also. Um, and then we have helper cells that are very flexible. They, are, they have many possibilities, many um, um, possibilities in terms of um, uh, energy consumption. And that's a very interesting thing because you see, when we're talking neurodegeneration, that's Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and different kinds of dementia. We're talking about cell death, right? Yeah, brain cells, yeah. Yeah, die. they degenerate and die. They degenerate and die, and that's what's happening. Why? Because when we deprive them from the normal sources of energy, they cannot mutate because they lack metabolic flexibility. They're very simple. They can only degenerate and die. What happens with uh, helper cells, with glia cells? Well, they have a lot of metabolic flexibility. Um, they have very complicated structure. So when they're deprived from the same energy, and remember, the environment is the same. Flow, you know, dep deprived of, um, you know, uh, micronutrients, um, insufficient um, um, oxygenation, things like that, right? They will mutate and they will start to kind of... Uh, Trying, try to survive on another kinds of fuel. And that's what's happening. That's uh, what is leading to tumors, tumors, 
cancer. That's the thing. We have to understand that. And only 1% of uh, tumors in the brain are the, brain, the neuron tumors, neuronal tumors. Only 1% because of that, because they lack metabolic flexibility. And from here, we can make uh, a kind of assumption. I mean, I mean, we can conclude maybe, can we use the same means, the same tools to normalize the environment to both reverse cancer or reverse neurodegenerative disease? And my answer is absolutely the same. And that's what also I'm, I'm doing. We have good results with uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Basically stopping Alzheimer's and uh, reversing. We have, I have one client with Parkinson just started, but already now the tremor is like much less and the stiffness of one side of the body is gone and the stability is much better. So um, it's fantastic, it's fantastic. We're using absolutely the same techniques. And with Alzheimer's um, also a results, I can tell you, for example, about my father. We, um, we had situations where he was uh, um, basically, he was sitting with his computer for three or four hours and not really doing something. Um, and um, I mean, coming, I mean, he, w he was not really able to communicate in a good way, was, um, and now the situation, he's uh, 87 now, and he can drive a car again, he's driving a car, he's uh, working as engineer again, and they are, <laughs> it's crazy, I mean, they have, a, they have a lab at home, and he's working, and he's totally normal again. And he's both doing breathing and nutrition. He's ketogenic and he impl implemented everything that I told him. It took me many years um, to ensure that he was actually doing this. Um, the same thing with my mother also. I mean, she had uh, heart problems and now she's thriving. So um, it's absolutely possible. The only problem is with Alzheimer's. And that's the biggest problem. It's not a problem with... Uh, um, tumors, it's not a problem with Parkinson's, but it's a very big problem with Alzheimer's because there's no visible, uh, uh, visible signs of disease. That's why people very often, they go into denial and uh, they don't really want to work. And that's a very big problem with Alzheimer's. And the window of opportunity for Alzheimer's is very short where they can pretty short, basically after the diagnose, it's about two years. And uh, if you are not starting doing a, a crucial changes here, then the prerequisites that are, will be gone. And the prerequisites are um, like your understanding, your um, psychological, physiological, and um, there's a different prerequisite that you need to really work in this structured way, and they are gone in relatively short time. Uh, well, in, in brain tumors, that's shorter time yet. And I, I made a special, uh, um, a special uh, you know, graphs to show this. Um, we call it the window of opportunity for, glioblast for, for brain tumors and for Alzheimer's. And they're very different. But when you have a diagnose of glioblastoma, you have probably uh, understood that you have between six to nine months and you have very, very short 
a window of opportunity about two to three months where you can start working very in a very structured way. And in Alzheimer's is longer, but you don't have external signs of disease and people are not taking it seriously until it's too late. With Parkinson it's different because they have tremor. They cannot deny. And that's a very big difference between neurodegenerative diseases and their and our abilities to treat it with metabolic approaches. Okay, excellent. <laughs> That's yeah, very good to hear. Yeah. You, yeah. Would, you, would you say that if uh, you take a, like if there is a, a, a client or patient student with Parkinson, like let's say initial stages and without any accompanying conditions, and this person is co completely willing to take the whole program to do breath work, physical exercise, to make uh, literally like uh, very like large changes in their diet, like maybe radical changes, in, radical changes in their diet. Would you say that such a person has like extremely high chance, like maybe absolutely, ninety percent, absolutely, absolutely. You see, I will, I will, I will, I will, uh, I, I will not ever, ever say any chances on in in terms of percents. But I will say if they follow my program where we connect, connect mental training with breathing retraining, with a reversal of metabolic syndrome, with nutrition, with moderate physical exercise, with process, with immunity work, it will have very, very high chances of reversal. And with also a bouquet of all other diseases. But, but the prerequisite is ability to move. Mm -hmm. And, and, a prerequisite of psychological prerequisite, which is ability to understand and really pro process information, which is very crucial. So yes, absolutely. Okay, excellent, yeah, <laughs> good, good to know. And Alzheimer would be similar, but as you described, just because of a like, not sufficient feedback. We know that we are diagnosed, but we don't see in themselves that we have this problem, that's a problem. Absolutely. And with Alzheimer's is, uh, is very hard because it will require um, a real understanding because people have to work, really work. And with Alzheimer's in the first stages, they are normal. Oh, I, I, I'm not, I have not, I've seen so many people that are in total denial. And then, and then it's too late. And then they are on the, on the, on the home for, you know, old people that, uh, and that's only, and the pills are not, I mean, it's making it worse, basically. Um, and also, uh, when we're talking about statins, statins, mm -hmm. uh, there are many uh, signs that are showing that statins basically uh, push us towards uh, Alzheimer's, towards neurodegeneration. Okay, excellent, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that probably would be the end. Like uh, we have already like nearly two hours of time. And yeah, Misha, so thank you very much for this opportunity to share with you your great experience with cancer and other conditions. Arthur, it was really great. I, uh, it, you are my big inspiration in this, in this world. And it was uh, really, really great talking to you, exchange experience. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.